Okay, I didn't have that many friends, so my, my conversation was pretty short, okay? So now you're all making me feel bad, so stop talking. <laughs> oh. Friendship can be such a gift, can it not? Um, so what makes for a, a good friend? What did you guys... Uh, what, what did you guys come up with? What, what, what kind of conversations did you have? What do you think? Anyone? Someone who hears you as much as you hear them. They don't. Uh, how many times have you been in a conversation with someone you, and they're just like, it's like, well, wait, it's like, hey, dude, you're just, it's like you're chomping at the bit. You don't even hear what I said. You just want me to stop so you can tell me what you want to say, right? It's not that kind of, that's right. Very good. Other uh, other things involved with uh, friendship? <laughs> if my wife were here, she would be giving you the biggest high five in the world. Oh my God! Okay, other uh, other things. Come on, let's let's uh, so your friendship. Even if you didn't admit, no, please, yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, accept you um, for who you are. Not for what you're supposed to be or, you know, some future you uh, kind of thing, kind of you right now. You know, very good. Uh, last comments and then uh, we'll, anyone else? Please, oh, come on, here we go. That is, okay, you actually just stole my sermon uh, for today. Okay. And what she said was um, people who, who, you know, will... Um, uh, uh, accept you and um, don't judge you. And whenever they do give, imp- whenever they do give counsel, it's not like ramming it down your throat. Um, it, it's always um, for the for your for your betterment, not to try and tear you down, but always to build you up. So, okay. So let's close on a word of prayer. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay. Now. Um, uh, for, uh, so the, the sermon this week is going to be um, uh, a little more theological. So um, visitors, um, don't judge this church by today because the guy next week will do a much better job, okay? Um, uh, and because what I'm going to try and do is um, because this the litany passage comes at the end of the book of Romans, which is considered like the most theological letter in the New Testament. I'm going to try and summarize a couple of Paul's arguments that are pertinent to what he has to say about the importance of friendship and commitment to one another. Okay. Um, uh, The litany reading for this week is a passage at the end of Paul's letter to the group of Christ followers in the city of Rome, uh, the book of Romans. In his concluding remarks, he puts the finishing touches on a community approach to spirituality that presupposes all that he's discussed in the previous 14 chapters. Um, In the history of of, uh, study on the book of Romans, there would probably be tens of thousands of books written about just this letter of Paul's. Okay. As you probably know, Paul's discourse in those chapters has been so powerful throughout the history of Western civilization that they have literally shifted the course of history. 
of Western history. They have led to innumerable individual conversions, billions of conversions. Major religious schisms or breaks, um, and even transnational political upheavals have been generated partly because of an of a d- interpretation and stance on the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans is surely one of the most significant documents in Western civilization. And the reading today focuses on how we should behave in the light of all that Paul has done to save and support the oikodome, that's the Greek term meaning um, the, the world. Now, having said that, all I can hope to do now is to highlight some themes that, um, that Paul felt needed to be addressed and to see how they lay a foundation for what Paul says in the passage before us today. So this is going to be very terse, okay? Um, uh, it might be controversial. If you have questions afterwards, you know, um, ask me afterwards. I'm, I'm prepared, you know, to, uh, to, to talk things out. Um, as, Paul, uh, um, as Paul addresses the community of Christ followers in a city he had never visited, so he writes this letter to Rome. It's the only church that he had never visited, and he writes this, this letter. He seems to have a couple of important themes in mind that can be identified as key phrases. One is... God's righteousness. How many times have you heard that term? And another is Christ's faithfulness. So I just want to talk about two main themes here or discuss this. Now, both of these terms are crucial for understanding God's relation with the world and why Jesus is seen as a central player in those relations. But as important as these concepts are, I am here to say that they have been really misconstrued for a very, very long time. God's righteousness and the faith of Christ. For instance, let's let's ask a simple question. What does God's right... I'm sorry, what does the righteousness of God mean? Okay, rhetorical, so I'm just going to answer it. I would suggest that it simply means... God's own righteousness. Well, okay, everybody's looking. That's rather anticlimactic, <laughs> you might say. But, and you're partly correct. But put this in contrast to the traditional views of the term, the traditional views of salvation that understand God's righteousness as some kind of alien or foreign righteousness that is imputed on those who have faith to come uh, to believe in the gospel. This was something I'm familiar with because in my previous Christian experience, from my early days in church to my um, high school days at a Christian high school, uh, to my work in the campus, you know, Christian organizations, Campus Crusade for Christ, and even to my seminary education. But it misconstrues what Paul is trying to communicate. And we'll see how in a little bit. And how about that other phrase? Faith of Christ. Well, I'd like to suggest that the faith of Christ simply means the faith 
or the faithfulness of Jesus. Okay, now you're looking at me. Okay, what gives? Again, you're looking at me like, really? But again, this is in contrast to the traditional understanding of the phrase that people think it means faith in Jesus. What I have just stated is very contentious, believe it or not. But if it is correct, then it becomes a paradigm shift on how, we, how that plays itself out. The center of Paul's thought no longer centers on how individuals get the gift by a believer's faith, but rather on the gift itself, the benefits of Christ's faithfulness, and places the focus on the giver of the gift. Who's the giver of the gift? God. Now, depending on your religious upbringing, the previous sentences may have just caused, might cause you uh, grave concern or not. But I have to move on, and um, once again, I'll take questions afterwards. So in his letter, he takes time to show that God's righteousness, his promise to his people, has been made good through Christ's faithfulness. Not our faith in Christ. In Christ's faithfulness. And further, that Christ's faithfulness is his, that is Jesus' adaptation to the needs of others. Now that's going to be contentious as well, okay? Paul has already demonstrated Jesus' adaptation in passages like uh, Romans 3, 20 to 26. Now I'm just going to read it here. It's, I think it's up there. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, if you can read that, you're uh, better than me. Okay, I'm sorry. Prior to this, Paul has established the present crisis in history as all nations are under sin. You know, he talks about that early on. So the law, send, uh, so the law sends the whole world, both Jews and Gentile, to the court before God. Paul says, no one is worthy. Not Jews, not Gentiles. So now he goes in in, in uh, chapter 3, and, and I'm paraphrasing. Therefore, none of those who stand outside of a right relation to God will be made right by doing works of the law. No one, no one. For in fact, the law itself shows that these people have joined the ungodly, both Jew and Gentile, everyone. But at this time in history, God has made known His loving justice meant to rectify the dilemma of the world's peoples. A plan based not on law-keeping, but promised and outlawed in the law and the writings of the prophets. So God's plan to make things right has come by means of Jesus' faithfulness. Not our faith in Jesus. Intended to elicit an appropriate faithfulness, like Jesus's, among all peoples. Not just among the Jews only. Since Jews and Gentiles have been equalized and shown lacking. Because God, uh, when God consigned all things to sin. All the ungodly, then, are made right as a gift through God's graciousness 
by means of the deliverance in Jesus Christ, whom God intended or accepted as a solution to the problem of his anger against the Gentiles by means of the faithfulness manifested in Jesus' death. One more, uh, two more sentences for this. God brought, him, God brought this about to prove his loving justice since he passed over the previous sins of the Gentile peoples when, uh, when he held back punishment. He did this to prove his own loving justice at this crisis in history so as to be just and to make right the person who stands, uh, whose status springs from Jesus' faithfulness. Okay. Now, I paraphrase that, okay, by giving it an interpretate, my own interpretation on that. So if you're interested, I can make a copy of my sermon and you can kind of compare that to, to how, um, how you do that, okay? I can send it to you electronically and you can take a look. This morning's passage is the culmination of Paul's final thoughts that started in chapter 12 of an ethic of community based on the principle of faithfulness as adaptability, uh, adaptability to others that is based on the way Jesus expressed his faithfulness so that he became that so that he welcomed non-Jews as well as Jews into God's embrace. Now, Okay, now think back in the ministry of Jesus. There are places in the Gospels that says, um, go only to the house of Israel. Okay? Christ, the, the, uh, Jesus was born and lived his life and died as a Jew. His whole ministry was to the Jews. Okay? So how did Christianity come about? Okay? Well, so um, he... Uh, you know, so thank God for the stories like the Syrophoenician woman, you know, who uh, this Gentile woman comes up and and um, and basically confronts Jesus and says, "Hey, dude, you know, even the dogs get a few crumbs off the table." And by dogs, he she was referring to Gentiles because that's what Jews called Gentiles. And Jesus heard it. I think he adapted. Jesus Christ, characterized by his faithfulness, pioneered a mode of life that God has enabled Christ followers to share through his spirit or activity in the world. This mode of life is not strictly imitation, but rather adaptability. Okay? Listen to Paul in his dealings with the, with the groups of the house churches in Corinth. Now, listen to how adaptable it is. Becoming all things to all people. This is Paul speaking. Imitating Christ by pleasing others instead of himself. That's the key thing. He was, his adaptability was because he, his, he was always trying to serve others. Not trying just to present a message. Not focusing on a person's soul, trying to get them into heaven. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all men. These are Paul's words. 
And this is based on his relationship with Jesus because he knew that Jesus, his whole life was adapting to try and serve. Again, this adaptability is to spread the good news that God welcomes all, both Jews and Gentiles, and expects the forming of peaceable friendships as individuals and groups as they struggle to fully actualize the extent of what God has accomplished through Christ. The focus becomes specific in chapter 15 where uh, Christ serves as a model for the community to take one another into, and here's the, um, the Greek term, it's proslambanen. It's usually translated as welcome, but welcome is way too weak of a translation. Are we just to welcome one another? Of course we're supposed to welcome one another, but is that, is that the extent? It needs a stronger word, and it would be friendship, but even friendship is really not strong enough. Paul understood Christ's unexpected adaptation even to suffer an, a dishonorable death on the cross as his peculiar and exemplary faithfulness to God and his promises. You think, did Jesus have to die on the cross? Now this is a, okay, we can talk later. Okay. I think he had a choice. And he chose. In this morning's passage, Paul presents an ethic that balances individual difference and social unity. At the center stands an idea of social interrelation in which each person in the community maintains a social identity partly construed by his or her abilities to benefit others. Why do we come to church? The principle of adaptation means that one acted so as to benefit not only those who are alike, but also also those who are different. Because in Christ, the Spirit of God empowers Gentiles with the powers of the new age that Christ pioneered through his faithfulness. This is the reason why Christ is so important to the Christian system. He is the first one. He's our paradigm. He's the first one to to do it. To show the way. That's why early titles for the Christian movement was the way. For instance, in chapter 13, he implicitly identifies the principle of adaptability with the love commandment, which fulfills the other commandments. Now listen to these words. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now listen here. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Okay, we're kind of winding down here. Friendship is a key concept in the Roman world. But it was different from our concept of friendship. And this is the reason why I say the term friendship for us, it's it's not quite strong enough. In the Roman world at the time, moral, ethical... I'm sorry. For instance, there 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 is much debate in the Roman world about the difference between a flatterer and a friend. See, a flatterer can look like a friend. But what's the difference between a flatterer and a friend? In the Roman world at that time, moral, ethical, and religious discussion revolved around the constraints of the passions, how to control your, you know, your desires. Um, but how to, control, uh, how to control and direct them. The practice of, of philosophy, uh, uh, you know, Greek philosophy, provided one therapeutic answer by in, intelligently engaging with others over methods of control. This is, philosophers, they would say, the way you answer this is, let's talk about it, we'll, we'll get these concepts down, you know, all this kind of thing, all this intellectual work. But true friends could also provide therapy as well, which included mutual criticism and encouragement. And this is what I, the, the young lady in the back, when she was saying, you know, uh, the, the biblical term for that is admonition. See, admonition is not just a flatterer. It's saying, hey, look at, buddy, you know, you need to think this through. I will stand by you. I will stand beside you. I've got your back. But I can only be truthful with you. With you. you you've got to address this. That's what a true friend is. Uh, a true friend, and a true friend is not someone who says all that and then, and then leaves. And, and a true friend is not someone who does that. And if you can't come through, they say adios. A true friend is there, day in, day out, but always wanting the best for you and calling you to be the best for yourself. In this context, the terms strong and weak were used to describe the different sides of relationships. Now, this is another controversial thing. You can talk to me later. Again, this cuts, a, 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 this cuts a, against the traditional understanding of strong and weak, where the strong are usually associated with either the Jews or Gentiles, and the weak are associated with the Jews or Gentiles, depending on what camp you're in. Having a friendship in the Roman era meant to take someone into relation of mutual assistance. And I, I would actually make the argument, that's what it should be today as well. Not just one of casual acquaintance. In this context, weak and strong are not groups or parties or theological positions, but dispositions of character. This calls for a quick comment on another problem in, the, in that modern interpreters uh, um, uh, following modern liberal individualism limit this relation to self-criticism. You know, like, uh, admonition, it's only for me, you know, I can only critique my own self. Uh, Christianity is just about me, my own personal, private relationship with God. That's not the case. We're in this together. But this construes Paul's meaning. Admonition is a particular kind of constructive criticism. The problem was, apparently, the weak and the strong in, in the church of Corinth were not willing to accept one another into a relationship of mutual aid and friendship. 
the weak held false ideas about things like food and special days that they would use as a criteria for not accepting others who acted more boldly. So the weak had their issues. The strong were inclined to accept the weak, but only so much as to allow them to be able to attack their superstitious beliefs. So both groups were able to write one another off. Were they being adaptable? Not at all. To address this, Paul draws two points from his basic convictions of the gospel. And let me just close with this. One, God uh, has accepted the weak and the strong alike. That's his point. So who are we not to accept one another? And secondly, Christ's acceptance of the ungodly meant adapting himself to their level to meet their needs. Okay, there's, there's a lot of contentious stuff here, okay? We can talk later. Christ manifested this behavior of going to someone's assistance and initiating a relation, a relation by becoming a servant to the Jews so as to bring about the patriarchal promises first given to Abraham, including the redemption and the adoption of the Gentiles. Romans 3 makes such faithfulness into a principle for the groups of Christ's followers. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to all of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than what you should. We talk, we've just talked about that before the service. Instead, be modest in your thinking, and each one of you judge himself according to the amount of faith that God has given to you. So the weak and strong must adapt themselves to one another in the same way. So, last sentence. My hope for this second Sunday of Advent that focuses on peace is that we will, t- we will just take a couple of moments to evaluate or maybe reevaluate why we are here and perhaps deepen our commitment to live our lives as followers of Christ. Um, God bless you all.